Welcome to the O Shift for Teens podcast, a show where I team up with a thought leader and we discuss a new topic question that will help you better understand your teens. I'm your host, Mark Tucker, co-author of O Shift for Teens and its accompanying workshop kit and curriculum. This super easy to facilitate Life-changing material is being used by folks just like you throughout the United States and beyond. Head to OSHIFT.com and choose one of the many ways you can become involved in this worldwide movement. Well, I tell you, I just got off the phone with my good friend, Dr. Andy Fletcher. What a wonderful uh, person she is out of California, doing great work down there. The conversation was fabulous. Just love talking to her. You're going to really get a lot out of this conversation. Our topic was, how do we help teens acquire the skills they need in the 21st century? And I was excited to hear what Dr. Fletcher had to say about that because she works all over the state of California and the country uh, helping answer that question and many others. I hope you're having a good day. Hope you're having a nice holiday. Of course, uh, Christmas is just around the corner and... um, In anticipation of that, one of the things that Jennifer Powers and I did was put our books, O Shift and O Shift for Teens, on a super special sale. Normally, they're $15. Uh, We put them on for $10 a piece. Go to OShift.com and order as many as you want for friends and family and loved ones and neighbors and coworkers and people you don't even like because you want them to shift and have their lives changed just like yours. And if you haven't if you haven't gotten your own copy, well my goodness, uh, now's the time. Uh, and those that get 10 or more, we're throwing in a free O-Shift t-shirt. Uh, so go check it out at oshift.com and find out how you can get involved, the many ways that you can get involved in the O-Shift movement. Well, I want to get straight to this conversation with Dr. Andy Fletcher. You're going to love it. So here we go. My guest today is Dr. Andy Fletcher. Dr. Fletcher is a nationally recognized leader in out-of-school time program, partnership, and policy development. She introduced California's groundbreaking legislation, resulting in $550 million in annual funding for comprehensive after-school programs serving millions of low-income children and young people. As a consultant with the Center for Collaborative Solutions, she's worked with more than 200 multi-site programs, led seven national and statewide initiatives, and is the author of several of the most widely read books and articles in the field. Dr. Fletcher, how are you? I'm great, Mark. Thanks so much for having me join you today. Well, thank you so much. You know that I'm in awe of you. Yet now, Dr. Fletcher and I met um, a few years ago, and I now I've had professors on the show. I've had authors, coaches, and experts. But I got to be honest, you're probably the biggest heavy hitter that I've had so far. You're awesome in the work that you do. Well, I appreciate you saying that. But listen, I. <laughs> I'm not the awesome whatever. I mean, I work with wonderful people. It's all of us in this together to make a difference in the world. Well, I knew you'd be super modest about it. Now, when we met uh, a few years ago, I think it was at a conference. Now, Jen and I, we travel to different conferences, uh, often presenting to folks that work with at-risk youth. And um, we rubbed shoulders a few years ago. And uh, what what is it about at risk? Is that sort of your main target audience? I really don't like to think about kids as being at risk. There are a lot of things that tend to work against their ability to achieve their potential. Um, And many of these are barriers that can be removed, uh, both by them and by the people that surround them. So, um, you know, we consider 
kids who, you know, live in, in, in extreme poverty situations like the ones that I work with a lot, you know, to be sort of at risk. But I've seen so many of them succeed in so many wonderful ways that I really prefer to think of them as um, at promise rather than as at risk. Nice. I like it. And, and now I see, when I read your bio, it said a lot of after-school programs. Is, is the majority of the work being done with that population? Is it, is it becoming after-school programs? What, what's so important about after-school programs? Well, I think after-school programs have become something very different than maybe you and I would have thought about them in our own past experiences. Um, there's a better term for the word now that we're using more widely, and it's expanded learning programs. And what we really are trying to do is expand the opportunities available to kids to enable them to really develop their skills and acquire the kinds of um, enthusiasm about learning that they'll really need to have to make it a lifelong experience for them. And did you say expanded or extended? Expanded. And I'm glad you raised that mark because... For a long time, when this field began, say in the mid-1990s, people said, oh, they're extended learning programs. I never have really cared for that term because it's not about carrying over what happens during the school day into the after-school areas. It's about reinforcing what's being learned and expanding it to new dimensions uh, of their lives. So, yeah, it's expanded, in my view, not extended. Okay. Now you mentioned, because uh, it's true, when we were kids, after-school programs, in my memory, were uh, intramural sports. They were real sports, clubs maybe. Um, but it seems like it's changed. There's been a lot, lot more. Well, tell me how it's changed. Well, I think you're right. That, you know, in the old, it was about recreation and enrichment. It was about arts and crafts and sports and you know, things that, it was about activities, let me put it that way. Now we understand that there is, you know, much more that can be done uh, in the out-of-school time hours that's that really beneficial to kids developing their skills, developing their confidence, um, and being able to integrate things in the world in ways that are not always available to them during the school day or in their homes or in their neighborhoods or communities. The funding, the work that you're doing, you're talking $550 million that you were able to get for these types of programs. What makes these programs so important now? Were they, should, should they have been going on back then? Or, I mean, what's made it? Is, is, do schools not offer the same sort of support that they used to so that we have to create these after-school programs? Or is it just new awareness? That's a very good question. And there, there are two things that come to mind. The first is we really have gone through a period of time, first of all, with the whole no child left behind uh, kind of mentality about learning where a lot of it was about memorization and about learning content area kinds of things. And much as that's important, what it kind of then excluded were those kinds of what I would generally call life skills um, or what we now call social-emotional skills that kids really need to acquire in order to be successful in the 21st century. So part of the advent of the kinds of programs that I've dealt with for the last 20 years or so really has to do with how can we fill a gap? How can we make it possible for kids to have opportunities that would not otherwise be available, particularly because of uh, the income limitations of their families? Um, and then secondly, how can we move as the world moves in very quickly? How can we move on to helping kids understand that 
there is a lot to be said for lifelong learning, for being enthusiastic about new things, for using their creativity in positive ways, and for really creating knowledge on their own. So this has sort of become a very different paradigm than what we really thought was important in the past. Well, this is this is one thing that occurs to me, and this is just your opinion, but you know, I, having attended a lot of these conferences, there's a lot of us that are creating programs for this after-school um, community, and we're all sort of doing our own things. Of course, we do it with O-Shift. We've got our own character development program, and there's a zillion others that are doing the same thing. And sometimes I think, is that is that helping this kind of buckshot approach where we've all trying our own thing and some people focus on jobs and some people focus on various skills? It, would it be better if we all like pooled our resources and just focused on like one, I don't know, maybe it is job uh, development, you know, getting these guys ready for the job force. I mean, are we, are we serving these kids well or I mean, how, how do, I'm sure that you've seen a million programs. Yeah, I have seen a lot of programs, and I'm I'm very much against siloed learning. Um, and I, you know, I've seen all all the kinds of things. You know, it's a career pathway, it's a college pathway, it's you know this, that, or the other thing among teams. But I think there's a very important, um, if not critical, bottom line to this, and that's that there are certain skills that kids are going to have to acquire, no matter what they do. And, you know, we're talking more and more about this all the time. They need to learn to become really good communicators. And I mean communicators in the sense of interpersonal relationship communicators. Yeah. Um, not only to be able to express themselves well, but to be able to be sort of people-centered. You know, and that's something that's becoming a little bit of a lost art, I think, with uh, the amount of time that kids spend with video gaming or with texting or things of that sort or social media in general. Um, so I think that you know that one the communication issue is huge. Um, kids are dealing with issues that are much more complex than they were when I was young, and this means that they have to become exceptional problem solvers. So that's something I think. No matter whether you know you're you're focused in a particular area or not, it's a very basic kind of a skill that kids need to learn, and they certainly need to to become critical thinkers. And what I mean by that basically is that they really need to be able to separate fact from fiction and opinion from stuff that really is accurate. And these are skills that no matter what you are interested in doing or what you're involved in, um, they can be adapted and strengthened in any environment or any situation. I, I love that, and I think it's super relevant right now. Uh, that last one that you mentioned, uh, be critical thinkers. Obviously, um, I, I instantly think of uh, this last presidential campaign, and there's been a lot of focus on a lot of there's, – there's just a lot of noise coming at us. And we're not doing uh, – even adults, we're not doing a very good job at uh, discerning facts from fiction. And so um, does that make it even more important that they become good critical thinkers. I think absolutely, and I think you're you know, right on target when you talk about what you know, has gone on in the last 18 months or, or so, that you know, even when the media itself has is, is not done a particularly good job in separating fact from fiction, when um, Facebook is you know, trying to figure out how to pull off or pull out the, the uh, materials that are on there, simply not true, it makes it very, very difficult for anybody. But I think for kids, it becomes even more serious because they, it's easier for them to pick up on other people's opinions and attitudes than, 
belief systems and you know to not be able to discern what what is really accurate and what is not and if we i think one of my greatest concerns is that we're going to have a generation coming up that really has some serious problems with that and that's going to have a serious impact uh, on our society in general for for you listeners out there um, we've already started talking about our topic so let me clue you into the topic that uh, you by now if you've been listening you know that I send my guests a list of possible topics for them to choose Dr. Fletcher chose the topic how do we help teens acquire the skills they need in the 21st century and of course that's exactly what we're talking about Uh, I want to go back to the first thing you mentioned with that is uh, to be a good communicator I I find this is something that Jennifer and I talk about a lot in fact we were just in Mexico she was teaching coaching skills which is really communication skills to engineers in Guadalajara because everybody whether you're an engineer or you're uh, a parent, you need these skills. It's communication skills, and it seems like it's becoming more and more challenging. We just had a, a three-part series on our audio blog about that very thing. Communication skills is something that is seeming to be a lost art. How do we do it? Because it, it is so important so, for so many reasons. And so we look at our own kids. We, of course, could have a 13- and 11-year-old about to become a 14- and 12-year-old. And we talk about this, how much should we expect of them to these simple things like look us in the eye when they talk to us, call us by name, you know, just these things that you think are sort of implicit. Um, at the same time, there's this thing with, I'm sure that, that you, you probably feel it, I feel it as this older generation. It's like, are we instilling like our, our own, our old paradigm in a world that's changed in front of us and is rapidly changing. You know, it's hard to think that you can communicate effectively over a text message. It just, it's sort of unthinkable to me. So it's, it's a very, I think it's a challenge for those of us, you know, these parents and folks that are working with teens to like, how much do we impose our old school rules on these kids at the same time? honoring the fact that that the world is changing. So when you say be a good communicator, what is popping into your mind, Dr. Fletcher? Well, you know, you're raising all the right issues, Mark, and I I think part of it is, you know, let's just use the word rules for a minute. Um, You know, and I'm old school in many ways, so I guess, you know, even though I'm also a text queen, um, (laughs) but I, you know, I I do think that the core of whether kids are going to succeed in life uh, really has to do with interpersonal communications. And what's very distressing to me is, you know, I travel all the time for work, and, you know, so that puts me in restaurants a lot. And when I'm in restaurants, I very commonly see adults with their kids, you know, and the kids are sitting there either playing video games or they're texting. And, yeah. I've, you know, I, I see young kids, you know, say 15, 16-year-olds old kids who are out there together, and they're sitting across from each other. They're not talking with each other. They're texting. Right. And, you know, I mean, I just hate to see this. Because it's an, it, to me, it's a missed opportunity, and I fear that it can become a lost opportunity in terms of uh, young people really developing the kinds of skills to be able to be effective on an interpersonal basis. So, yeah, I mean, those things are really, really troubling to me. I'm not so big on the setting rules as I am on surrounding kids with positive influences. And I think that is a responsibility of adults, too to take the time to model 
you know, just like you're talking about coaching with what you all do, take take the time to model the behavior that you really want. Right. I, I think that is such a wonderful thing to say because I don't – I think it's lost a lot. I think we think, well, I'm an adult. I get to do adult things, and we do, I mean, obviously to some degree. And they need to – they have a whole different set of rules. And there's some truth to that, but at the same time, I'm a big, big believer in modeling basic levels of decency and the way that I present myself and the way I expect that my kids can look at me and the kids that I work with and, and say, yeah, that he, he can tell me these things because he lives that life. Like, for example, when I taught high school, I know that some high school teachers will, will curse sometimes. It's like, yeah, I want to be kind of like them. I wanted to raise that level. I, I curse with my friends, you know, I talk, you know, mm-hmm. stupid, but when in front of my kids, I treated them with respect. I treated them with decency. I listened, you know, I'm making myself sound like a saint, but I really believe a lot in that modeling. And I think it's, I really want to emphasize that because you just brought it up. I just want to throw that out to people that, yeah, kids are looking at you and guess what? They don't necessarily, necessarily have a lot of people around them that are good role models. So, I, I just, completely agree with you. I think the whole process of becoming good role models for kids is important. And I think it actually begins with, you know, a sort of a genuine interest in these kids. Um, you know, and I, I don't, you know, say that lightly. I mean, you know, there are lots of challenges with teenage uh, young people. You know, and one, one is that, you know, many people will say they already think they know everything. You know, or they're not interested, or you ask them how they're doing, or how was your day, and they say oh, it was fine, or it was it, you know, and this, the conversation's done. <laughs> right. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we tend, as adults, very often to to want to provide answers rather than right. to ask questions that are meaningful to kids themselves. You know, kids have a lot of creativity. I mean, the sad thing is that if you, if you talk to a you know, say a four year old. I mean, they will tell you anything. They're interested in everything. Ask them if they can run a, you know, a marathon, and they'll all tell you that they can, and they're excited, and then they'll ask you what a marathon is. Um, right. They don't care. They're excited about life. And then many teenagers who you talk to don't seem that excited. Well, I think they probably are in their own way, and quite possibly with their own friends. But I think adults have an obligation to ask the kinds of questions that really reveal or allow the students to, and young people to reveal more about what's interesting to them. This is a topic that I really, really uh, love talking about. Uh, Jen and I, we talk about it all the time. I've already mentioned that. But because teens are almost the best example of, of the challenge of communicating, a lot of us give up because we ask closed-ended questions, and we also probably tend to ask questions that we almost expect nothing to come back. You know, oh, how was your day today? If they say, uh, nah, they give us a grunt, and we're like, okay, that's good enough. You know, we stop there. But learning to ask open-ended questions, boy, if you could do it with kids, uh, you could do it with almost anybody. It's like great training if you want to get better at doing this. And I find myself stopping mid-sentence sometimes, realizing I'm asking my, my kids Closed-ended questions, it's so easy to do. And this is something we teach. And I, we teach this stuff and stopping myself and saying, okay, I need to turn this into open-ended. And then having the expectation that I'm going to get an answer. Like, no, that's not going to work. Tell, tell me more about that, you know, not letting them off the hook so much. I think that's also part of, you know, our role as, as adults in, in coaching in a way. 
that we yeah. give kids the opportunities to do this. And that's one of the things that we're progressively finding um, in the field that I'm privileged to be working in is that we're really getting a lot more staff members to understand that you know their responsibility is to see themselves as facilitators of learning or guides by the side. Um, you know, not to be somebody who is instructing or saying do it this way or do it that way or here's something I've created for you, then go ahead and, and pursue that. But we really want you know, the staff to provide the resources and support that young people need and then encourage them to work together to solve real problems, and that means problems that are of interest to them, and to create knowledge on their own. This is it's a big shift. You know, what we find with a lot of staff is they're afraid to do it because they're afraid they're going to lose control. Right. And I think that that's true of teachers, um, you know, who are struggling with Common Core at this point in time. What happens if you turn over the responsibility for a great deal of learning and problem solving and creating knowledge and so on, experimenting? You know, people are afraid that kids are going to get out of control. Right. And I think what we're demonstrating is exactly the opposite happens. They, right. they become active, engaged learners. They, you know, they learn from their mistakes. They increase their attention spans. They build on their successes. And, and, and they're eager to talk about it then and to talk about how they did what they're doing and why they did it. And I think this opens a gateway for these kids to really become effective communicators. Well, you just make my heart sing. I mean, really, because uh, this, you know, all of the programs that we do with the O-Shift material, it's, they're really coaching programs, and they're really designed to get those kinds of conversations going. And it's something that uh, it just really encouraged me to hear you say that, especially in the role that you're a part of. I do want to give a few minutes to the, the fourth thing that you mentioned, which is um, – that we want kids to be exceptional problem solvers. And so I want to know what the thinking is there. I mean, I could, I could jump to my own conclusions, but what are you thinking when you say that? Well, I mean, I think we are in an era, and will continue to be, where the problems just become extremely complex and complicated and difficult and probably increasingly important because they impact so many people. So we're dealing with a different time. And, you know, I think we're beyond the place where we can be telling kids how to solve problems. That doesn't mean not showing them, you know, and modeling and mentoring and coaching and so on and so forth. But uh, I'm going to give you just a quick example, and it's not that I'm, you know, totally against things like this, but I have reservations. And that's the example of just say no uh, right. to drugs and alcohol and so on and so forth. Um, that, you know, we've been saying this forever. And it seems to go in one ear and out the other for kids. Kids are involved in very real circumstances and situations and peer pressure. You know, and, and these are real problems for them to be able to solve. In order to solve those problems, in order to get out of bad situations and move ahead, they've got to have problem-solving skills that are applicable in real-life situations and right. meaningful to them and help them get out of, out of troubling situations. So I think, again, it's a matter of shifting the attention to, from what adults are saying to what kids are really involved in and doing and helping them build their own capacity to make, to use good judgment to the extent that they possibly can and to make decisions that are going to be life-enhancing rather than life-threatening for them. 
you know, in what you're talking about, of course, we, we, we would like to see adults doing the same thing, but it becomes extra critical for teens because they do, they don't necessarily have the neural pathways instilled already. So we want them to be able to exercise their, you know, making predictions about what will happen if I do A, you know, and, and actually having a roadmap for when I get in those situations, I have actually exercised those skills of problem solving to get myself to make the smartest choice, the, the choice that is best for me. Exactly. You know, and you know, where these things are really going to play out is in their own real life experiences. Um, these aren't theoretical issues. Every kid is going to come up with this in one way or another. And you know, so having the sort of resources internally to be able to respond effectively, I think, becomes the critical piece. And, and I think what happens is kids need to practice this. A lot of these skills are transferable when we talk about problem solving. Being able to solve a problem in one area can work to help a person solve a problem in another area. And, you know, I think this is where we're seeing some real changes uh, in the expanded learning field rather than saying, here's how to solve the problem. It's saying, okay, here are some resources that you could use to do that, but mostly we want you to go ahead and solve problems. So, you know, just I want to give you a couple of little quick examples. I was working with some folks not long ago in a rural community, a very poor rural community, uh, that's located fairly close to a, a relatively major highway. And, you know, I said to these kids, what is it that, that, you know, you see in your neighborhoods or your communities or whatever else that you consider to be a real problem? And they said, well, there's a lot of homeless people who are, you know, hiding in the bushes on Highway 99. And, you know, they don't have any sort of protection, but it's also, it's kind of scary to have them out there. So I said, well, what would you guys do? Do you guys have any ideas about what could make a difference here? And they talked about it for quite a while. And they said, well, you know, we've heard about tiny houses. Um, do you think that we could get involved in how we could, you know, make a difference that way? And I said, well, I think you need to think about how to do this. There's lots of possibilities. You know, you would have to design the houses, I suppose, and you would have to figure out where they would go and you would you know, it's going to cost some money to have it done. You'd have to repair yourselves to talk with, um, you know, either the county administrators or the city council members and so on and so forth. What do you think you could do that? And every single one of them said, yeah, we think we could do that. <laughs> and the next step was, when do we get started? And I said, well, there's no time like the present. Right. And um, I checked back in with them last week, and they are well on their way to um, – and doing, you know, and they're, they're applying skills from architectural kinds of standpoints. They're looking at, you know, where these would have to be located, how much money they would cost, what difference they would they make. They've gone out and interviewed uh, the people who are homeless there and asked what they wanted. This, to me, is the opportunity that we have at this point in time. Give kids a chance to solve problems that are real for them, and they will. Dr. Fletcher, it just is amazing to hear that you, you saying all of these things. Of course, this is what we dedicate, Jen and I dedicate our lives to. It's, you're talking really about coaching and giving people the opportunity to uh, forge ahead instead of doing it for them. It, it just, just makes my heart sing, and I, I believe in it a thousand percent. And if you're listening right now, uh, find out more about what what Dr. Fletcher is talking about. You can always email me about that too. And Dr. Fletcher, it feels like 
it feels like this is such a rich conversation and we could go on and on and on. Uh, I don't, I don't know how to wrap it up. I'm wondering if I could ever uh, have you on the show again. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to be. I love talking with you, Mark. And, you know, I, you know, I haven't seen Jen for a while now and I miss talking with her as well. You guys do such amazing work. You know, you, you're really about making a difference in the world. And I think that's what you know, we all need to, to be following your lead on this. And so I appreciate the opportunity. I would love to come back again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, well, where would people find more about what you're doing? Well, um, they can contact me. They can either email me, and I'll give you that in just a second, or they can contact me at centerforcollaborativesolutions.org. Again, that's centerforcollaborativesolutions.org. All of the things that I have written, you know, both of articles and the books and so on and so forth are available free of charge to download so they can get that from the Center for Collaborative Solutions website Um, or they can contact me directly. Even though most of my work now is in California for many, many years, um, I've worked in this field nationally, spent a great deal of time around the country. Um, I led a national initiative for uh, developing public-private partnerships for expanding learning programs. So I'm familiar, pretty familiar with what's happening in other states as well. So, yeah, I would be more than happy to be able to provide any information or have any conversations with people that you might think would be useful. Yes, of course. Now, we've seen you in uh, conferences throughout the country. Now, you, were, you said you would uh, give us your email as well. Mm-hmm. The email is all one word, D R A N. D-I-A-S-T at AOL.com. An easy way to remember it, it's Dr. Andy, and the ASP is for after-school programs. Perfect. For, for listeners, you know, Andy, Dr. Fletcher is, uh, for all the important work that she does, she's very uh, genuine and has always been very open to, to Jennifer and I uh, as far as collaborating on things. I, I can't tell you how, how wonderful you'll find her if you reach out to her. Now, Dr. Fletcher, I don't mean to fill up your schedule here, but I, I really uh, hope that uh, you'll have time to, to hear people as they reach out to you. I encourage my listeners to do just that. Dr. Fletcher, thank Thank you so much for being on the show. I look forward to seeing you again and talking to you soon. Thank you so much, Mark. I appreciate the great work you're doing, and it's always wonderful to talk with you. Thanks so much. You bet. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, what a great conversation that was with Dr. Andy Fletcher. You can see why I love doing this show. I know that you enjoy it. I know that you get a lot out of it. I certainly do. Hey, and listen, uh, don't keep it all to yourself. Don't hog all the information. Share it with other people. The thing about being a parent of teens or working with teens is uh, a lot of us don't have a really great roadmap, and a show like this is just a support for the many people that are trying to do their best, that are trying to do a good job, and really impact their teens in a positive way. So all you have to do if you're receiving uh, this news about the podcast via Facebook, you can share easily, or you can go uh, right to the website. Under the show, there's links for you to share uh, via LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter and, and on and on. And Of course, if you get it via email, pass it on to people and, and let them know what kind of impact it's made on your life and, and what it might do for them. Thanks so much for joining me this week, and I look forward to an exciting show coming up next week, uh, another one that you're just going to love. All right, thanks for joining us. Until then, 
Have a great holiday.